Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events in light of the Christian worldview. If you've been a viewer for a while, you know that we will be doing this today from different chairs. Each one of us is sitting in a chair, and we will be discussing the topic on hand from a specific slice of the Christian apologetic. So this is a lightning round. No one knows today which chair they're going to be sitting in. Uh, I'm John Arthur, your host, and I'm to my right. I've got uh, Jennifer. Hello. Jennifer. I'm going to claim the chair of theology today. Okay, excellent. Ooh, that's so that's bold. That's bold. I was, that's I was, I was going to stick you with politics, but you have theology. No, no, no. You can do whatever. No, 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 you want. no. This you, is your you're, show. You're, 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 this is your this rodeo. Is our, your this clowns. is our rodeo. Our show. So you've already <laughs> claimed it. You name it. You claim it. I'm kidding. Uh, moving on to her right, we got Nikki Pomeroy. I will do the chair of. Good morning, by the way. I'll good do morning. the chair of politics. Awesome. To her right, we got uh, Mr. Charlie, who's just been deposed of one of his favorite chairs. Man, I was going to jump on that one. <laughs> you should have gone to me first. Well, <laughs> that's all right. No worries. Let's go with the chair of philosophy. Mm, and there's one of my favorite. All right. I'll be sitting in the chair myself of... Uh, uh, culture I'll, economics. I'll do culture. I'll be in the chair of culture today. Excellent. So with that said... Good or you want it? Good? Okay. Hmm? You'll be in? Okay, so today we have a, a guest, and uh, his name's Daryl. How are you this morning, Daryl? Hey, good morning. Glad to have you on. So today we're going to be kind of bouncing around, and uh, Daryl has never heard this podcast before. So what we'll be doing is, is we'll be talking about uh, the, the subject. Today is Christian persecution in the nations of... Um, uh, Excuse me, by Boko Haram and in Afghanistan and the plight that they're underneath. So uh, we'll be bouncing some ideas back and forth and we'll bounce over to you on a regular basis to get to get your opinion. What we do is we do a 10 second start and a two minute round after and they're we break it down. They're never 10 seconds. They're never 10 seconds, unfortunately. So uh, today we're talking about Boko Haram and Jennifer has two stories that she wants to bring to us. So these are both coming from uh, the Epic Times. Um, the first one was about something really amazing that happened, uh, I believe, from the 15th of August, which is a large number, hundreds of Boko Haram fighters, uh, men, women, and children from that faction, came out and actually surrendered to the Nigerian army. Uh, the reason that they did this is because there is another faction of Islamic militants who after Boko Haram lost their leader who I did not know this but he committed suicide in May there was this power vacuum and now this other Islamic group is coming in to take over so these um, Boko Haram people are running out of food they're running out of supplies so they have surrendered many of them to the um, Nigerian army so real quick before before you get into the story mm -hmm. you've got a, done a good job setting the table some people do not remember who Boko Haram is. Could you set that yes. table just a bit more? So Boko Haram is an Islamic militant group in many different countries in Africa. Nigeria is the primary focus for today. Um, Nigeria is just in general uh, a hotspot of Christian persecution. Four out of five Christian martyrs are in Nigeria alone. Yeah. It's, it's incredible how many... 
how much violence is going on there. And a lot of that was being perpetrated by Boko Haram and, and other uh, Islamic militant organizations. They were the ones who kidnapped those girls during the Obama administration. They have continued to run rampant and burn villages and kidnap women and force so-called uh, conversions to Islam, kill people. It's it's true terrorists. Yeah, it's it's incredible how and, awful. And you know, it's just been. to tag on to that for just a moment, th th their area is not huge, but you're talking Chad, Niger, Cameroon. But what's really interesting about this podcast today, as we get into this, you're talking about a group of terrorists that have quote unquote surrendered. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is they're surrendering to the very villages that they've pillaged. Yes. And this Muslim militant group is surrendering because they're being persecuted by another Muslim yeah. militant group. Yeah. Um, the second group is called the Ascendant Islamic State of West Africa, which uh, they abbreviate ISWA. I don't know if they call it ISWA or whatever. But yeah, so that's the background. Um, they need a better acronym. They do need a better acronym. Uh, the one for Boko Haram, I didn't know this, but Boko Haram is a nickname for a nickname or something like that. Because their actual name is like eight different Arabic words that they abbreviate to JAS, which is then <laughs> called Boko Haram. Much easier found, to say. They found a better nickname. <laughs> yes. So some of Boko Haram is surrendering to this other Islamic militant group but many of them are surrendering to the nigerian army and 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 that is a good thing for sure but it is also leading to some other issues so our our other story is from one of the towns that was being persecuted before they surrendered um a several buses full of muslim worshipers were attacked by several hundred christians many people were killed Legend to death. Um, 60 Muslim worshippers aboard were bludgeoned. 22 of them died outside of the capital of Jos. And this has become a spark of sort of a he said, she said, well, you killed students on a bus, and so this group killed student, you know, your people on a bus. and, and Eye for an eye. Eye for an eye kind of situation. I do want to point out something that was kind of a, a footnote in this article, but I think is really, really important. While this bus of Muslims was being attacked by Christians, uh, many of the Muslims actually found refuge in the homes of other Christians in the town. <clears throat> so this was not a unified sort of attack by all of the Christians in this area. I think that's important to note. Um, so that's yeah, that's so the that's kind of the setup and where, where i want to go today with this is we're seeing active persecution in uh africa we're seeing active persecution in afghanistan right now i have a uh, story in front of me at least if i can pull it up here where i have taliban this is via breitbart taliban killing people found with bibles on their phones we're looking at persecution in China where, you know, again, we're, we're not going over the story. Per, uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, but we're seeing widespread persecution. And 
if you even want to go, you know, we, we can say it's it's not just Christians. It's also the Uyghurs. It's also this mm-hmm. this huge thing. And in America, what we're worried about is Lizzo's fat posterior shaking. Is that good or is that bad? And and my my question, and what we'll go around the room, starting with with Jennifer, and we'll come come to Daryl and get his thoughts. Just to go around. How do we change the focus from ourselves to missions and to the unreached and the injured uh, world around us? I, before I pose the question, question I want to again read some statistics. I read some of these last week. I'll read them again this week with a few more. Uh, this from uh, a Barrett and Johnson study. Christians make up 33% of the world's population, receive 53% of the world's annual income and spend 98% of it on themselves. I'll explain that statistic more in a little bit with a little more data. North American and European Christians spend $12.5 trillion on themselves and their families each year. Also from Barrett and Johnson. This next one from the traveling team. American Christians spend 95% of offerings on home-based ministry. And let me be clear, most of that is not in the community. Moving on down, they spend 4.5% on cross-cultural efforts in already, uh, already reached people groups and half a percent of the unreached. Half a percent of the unreached people groups, the 1040 window, we're talking 3 billion people, give or take. Moving on down, uh, this is also from the traveling team. Christian's annual income is $12.3 trillion. Uh, 213 billion is given to Christian causes. 11.4 billion is given to foreign ministries. Uh, 87% of what goes to work being done among already uh, Christian. 12% goes to the uh, evangelized non-Christian, and 1% to the unevangelized. Even from a secular perspective, one of and and again, I'm I'm, I'm botching this. I don't have this quote. This just came comes to mind. There was a secular philosopher who said. If Africa only had Christianity, this guy's an atheist. He says, if they just had the values that there is an overarching higher power in whom everyone is made in that image, and you're an image bearer of that higher power, we would see Africa's problems cease. We would see the Middle East problems cease. So, I'm going to kind of go around the room here. What is, to start with the chair of theology, Jennifer, what do we do? be part of the solution in our church we can whine and cry about everyone else's church but that does nothing how do how do we what's wrong with our doctrine and what should our doctrinal focus be well i think one of the big problems is that when we say we want to help those who are persecuted we think of i'm going to physically get on a plane and go somewhere and do missions which is awesome. If you're drawn to that, if you can do that, if that's where your ministry is, God bless you and God keep you safe. But that's not the majority of people. People have families. People can't just do that. They have lives. And I think that we as the church have sort of used that reality as a way to escape the responsibility of doing something else whether it be financially, which we see from the statistics that we are absolutely not, not. doing. Yeah. And more specifically, and this is something 
that I have been really trying to work on in my own life just in the last couple of weeks. So I'm not trying to, you know, come from a place of like, you know, attacking anyone. This is something that I have very recently started doing more often. Prayer is powerful. In our churches, we do not emphasize prayer enough. If all you can do is pray, that's not all you can do. That is a lot. The power of God is, is, it comes through prayer. If, if all you can do is pray for Nigeria, that is well worth it. So. Absolutely. And you, you said something interesting. You said if that's your calling to go and go to the unreached people group, go. We need those people. But if we just supported, as you said, if we actually supported indigenous missions, I was looking for the statistics here. I apologize. I could not find them just yet. Maybe I'll find them. They're significantly more successful. If we fund people who are in there, you don't have to send an American and a trained individual who's in that culture. And that's what we're doing. We're discipling. Moving over to the next, Nikki. You're sitting in the chair of politics. So let me ask you, what could we be doing with our nation? Uh, we, we live in America. The, you know, this is an American-based podcast. We have a system that has allowed us the opportunity to grow disciples. How have we wandered that, and how can we change what we're doing so that we can reach these areas that do not have the light of Christ? It goes back to your statistics of 98% is spent on ourselves. When scripturally, 10% is tithe, and then you offer above that. So if your statistics were uh, 85% was spent on ourselves, that's biblically sound. If my 10 and 15% were given to missions or given to the church, that would make quite a difference. The next point would be uh, churches stand up and they have missions. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And if you, you know, here we've gone door to door in certain neighborhoods. Uh, so going door to door, you're part of something and you feel you've accomplished it. But discipleship is personally examining what your call is before the Lord and fulfilling it. And that's where we are not, that's what the churches are not doing, is going to the personal. What is your personal calling? If you want to change politics, you want to change your neighborhood, that's where you go first. And so you, you, you kind of alluded to something there. We need to be living locally. When it comes to politics, who's on your school board? What's being taught in your schools? Mm -hmm. Is your church being part of the local solutions for the local body politic? And by the way, churches should be political. Let me be really clear in the sense of all of the issues that are moral issues have been politicized. Should we, should we be killing children in the womb? Should we be uh, taking a six-year-old who doesn't, doesn't have the ability to understand what their sexuality is, and should we be pumping them full of hormones? Or at the very least, or, or, or cutting stuff off when they don't even know, we wouldn't trust them to choose their meal plan. Against their parents' wishes. And, and what's scary about that is that you've already got some countries that have taken the parent out of. Uh, I think there was one where they actually fined or put him in jail, but I, don't quote me. But and that's a topic me. That's we coming. could go super deep with. Good point. But moving over to the next chair, 
Yeah, so from a philosophical point, you know, the search for truth, when you look at, at this whole dynamic and where should we as Christians, you've just kind of stepped into it there, being involved locally. And I think, I think people are starting to see that. You, you see it with regards to how people are getting involved with the discussions of CRT in local school board meetings. Um, start. It's yeah. only a small start. It's a knee it, jerk, unfortunately. Well, it is. But I'll take it, Johnny. Come lately. A- amen. And and that's important. Let's talk about this from an opposite side of the ocean perspective. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot that we can necessarily do as a country per se uh, in this little thing. I think we could probably do more as Christians individually, or maybe as pockets. And I think the challenge as we get into this a little bit more is going to be if I were in the shoes of some of these families that have had loved ones killed, how do I treat that that fighter that is surrendering? Like he's the one that just took down my village. And this gets to the core of forgiveness. This really reaches deep. So I'm, I'm touching on some theological stuff there. But I think this, this is where the rubber meets the road. This, this particular issue here is probably one of the toughest ones for Christians to deal with. So theologically and philosophically, next round around the room, I'm going to ask you both, what is the theological premise for forgiveness? I'm looking at the chair of theology and looking at the chair of philosophy. What is the pragmatic value in accepting, is there a pragmatic value in accepting these terrorists back into the boy? Oh, so, so think about that for a moment. Great question. So, uh, rolling over here, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll be putting a cultural question to Daryl in just a moment. Uh, I'll, I'll go with the economics here. It's it's really simple. You look at a world that is, if you have the light of Christ everywhere, you, you know, and if you're shining that light. That is why you've been blessed, is to share and to give. If you are a Christian, if you're a Christian church, and it's not just, there are a lot of Christians who do do tithing, offer a lot more than that. It's the church that takes that money. Quick quick anecdote. Uh, my family and I were out in El Paso. We walk into this church, uh, for, it's for a funeral, but we're, we go to the Sunday worship service. And this is the lasers and hazers. Five, four, three, two, Jesus. Church where it's, it's about 140 decibels in there. We're plugging our ears. It's so loud. It's like a, it's like a rock concert. It's like, okay, fine, sure, whatever. Not, not my jam. But we find this one homeless lady who, I say homeless, she'd just been widowed. She'd lost everything. She has six kids. You know, she was a faithful wife. Every single click on the, on the widows and orphans, she checked. And we, we met her on the way out of town at a McDonald's. And uh, we called up this church because this church has a campus that is worth 40 or $60 million. This is an enormous campus with 4,000 churchgoers. You say, look, we just met this widow. We were just at your church. What can, is there a chance that, that you guys have a widows and orphans ministry? And the response we got back was, no, sorry, we, we've, we've spent all of those funds. 
uh, our response back to them was, let me guess, you've used your 3.5% minimum for charitable funds. I'm sorry, sir. You have a wonderful day. Wow. Wow. So they have this abundance and overflow, and their church has become a wonderful business. Yes. And, and instead of giving what you have, you, you, you are, if you have money, you first take care of your family. Let me be really clear. You take care of yourself. You take care of your family. Understood. If you have more than that, you should look after the widow, after the orphan. And you should, really a question. And that's and that's the thing. Are you looking at your neighbor as yourself? So, and and that's that's my economic <clears throat> tip. I want to move over culturally, to Daryl, and and that it's a really good segue. I think that that you started there, Daryl. What should the Christian nation and what should we as individuals be doing? What kind of culture should we create, uh, where? these people are taken care of? Do you want the government to do it? Or should, should the church and the individual be the one reaching out? I believe the first concept separation. It is not of God. Anytime you'd have to define yourself between one group and another, it immediately defeats your purpose. But if you view the entire family of humanity as one group, then all of a sudden it becomes much easier and much easier to explain what you believe your concept of love is. Now, a lot of these people have the exact same values and concerns that we do, but for some reason, they've followed the enemy's way. And I believe that the more that you emanate love, try and transfer the light of God through your own heart, then it becomes a lot easier to follow in the steps. So many times we get through with the calculations and the quantifying and the counting and numbers, but again, it's back to the And again, that's back to prayer. Are you communing with God? And are you, are you seeking his face through his word and through prayer? Yes, that, that right there, because it happens in every culture. Every religion, everybody wants happiness. Everybody wants prosperity. But God reveals himself to so many people in so many different ways. The only things we have that we can build on, love. So when you have one Muslim group attacking another Muslim group, it shows what the end game will actually be. If you follow down that road persecution, you will end up being persecuted follow down the road of love, you will end up being. That can leave, strongly be brought through by prayer. It's an ancient concept, ancient concept of communing with God, whichever manifestation that chooses to bring forth to that person anywhere in the world. And we have a lot of, we have a lot of case studies of, of there's a great one where uh, this one man in uh, the Middle East was getting a dream every night and uh, he was told to write down what he wrote, not ever having, this is one of those unreached people groups, uh, and he wrote down everything that he, he saw every, every night and everything that he heard 
And then one day he met a Christian later on in his life. And he told him about this story because it, it matched up with the Christian faith. And it would, showed him this book that he had written out of the dream. It was John. It was the Gospel of John. Really cool stuff. God can reach you wherever you are. Moving on back around the room. Chair of Theology. Uh, Jennifer, I told you I was going to ask you this question. Forgiveness. I don't think that there is a concept or very, very few concepts more important to Christianity than forgiveness. Grace, faith, forgiveness. This is the core of Christianity. And it's not just God forgiving us, although that is where we model our forgiveness. Um, so let's go right to it. Let's go to, to the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, this day, this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's pretty, pretty powerful to think about. You know, it almost sounds like a, like a state of humility before God. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, part of, of the process of salvation, part, part of being saved, the first step even is realizing just how much of a sinner that we are and how much we need a Savior. And I think that sometimes we do kind of a bad job of really internalizing that and understanding, no, I'm not all that much better than Boko Haram is, spiritually speaking. We're both dead. Totally dead spiritually. You're either living or dead. We're both dead. God forgave me when I was dead. That same forgiveness extends to everyone else who is also spiritually dead. For whatever reason, whatever you know, specific sin that they're still living in. So that concept of forgiveness is it's paramount. If Christ forgave us while we were actively at enmity with him, mm -hmm. now that Boko Haram is coming out, and by the way, I, I say this almost with a lump in my throat. I just think about it. Man, that's hard. Oh. Mm -hmm. that, I think that you're is... missing a point here. They're coming out to surrender because they have no food. Yeah. They're not coming out to surrender because they've changed their idea. And so... You know what? I can forgive you if, if you harm my family mm -hmm. because I know I can't live in peace with God without forgiving you. But you're not coming close to my family. I'm going to forgive you and not hang on to well, that sure. hate. But I'm not going to let you have access to my family. Sure. I, I don't think that that, that is appropriate <clears throat> at all. And, these, and I'll, I'll tell you another thing. They're not changing what they believe. They're just defeated. So when you bring them back into mm -hmm. a, their society and then they regroup, you're in trouble. Oh, I, I, we're we're so, going to have fun so, with this on. one. Let and, me and just so say there. real quick, to that point, I, I agree with that is my visceral reaction. But I think as Christians, we're called to overcome that. And I think, I think that We're called to be showing, vulnerable, not stupid. Showing so that forgiveness. Yeah, don't be stupid. But I think showing that forgiveness when they know that we know it's because they don't have any food is one of the most powerful tools that will get them to actual 
repentance. The, one thing, the one thing that always yeah. is attributed to salvation, conversion, and a change in Muslims' lives is the love, not stupidity, yes. the love of God. You do not need to be stupid about how you go about it. You can, you can, offer, that, um, you can offer that forgiveness, but man, don't be stupid. You're and right. Let me, let me jump in here on one quick point. I did 21 plus years of prison ministry. The state of Texas will tell you that they rehab inmates. No, the state of Texas does not rehab inmates. They might teach them some skills to, to, to work in the, in, the, in the world. Only God can rehab an inmate or Amen. any of us because it's an issue of the heart. They can change. And this is the very issue that the leaders in these villages are facing because the citizens are like, you ain't putting them next to me. So do they put them, yeah, do they put them next to them? Do they put them in their own area away from people? Blah, blah, blah. And that's I one think of the that's two the, solutions that's been offered. Exactly. And, and I think that's the challenge. But what I want to make very, very clear here, even the most hardened of people can change. God can change them. He can look. It's pretty hard. It, it's it's difficult to find anybody more harder in the heart. Boy, that was that was not grammatically correct. We I'm do. so we, sorry. We, we know what you but mean. it's it. How about Paul, or shall we say Saul of Tarsus? And Jesus took him figuratively, by the scruff of the neck and smacked the sight right out of him and said, you're going to go to town and sit for three days and then I'll tell you what's coming. Talking about a heart that converted. We're not talking about converted hearts. We're talking about desperate people. Okay, but okay, Paul okay, was okay, not so. open to conversion either when he was on the road. I what wanna, was he going there for? I want to take what she just said because that's a great segue to her chair. Before you get, I just want to make it really clear. I'm not saying that I would offer that forgiveness if I was in that situation because I've never been in that situation and I am not perfect right. and it is incredibly difficult. It's hard to in imagine. Intellectually speaking, theologically speaking, I think that's what we're called to do. I'm not saying that I would. I, I just I can't make that claim. Right. I just wanted to, to put that out there that I'm not sitting here like, oh, I would forgive them for sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't want that to come across. This goes back to what we talked about, separation. Anytime you see separation, that is not of God. You look at Saul and what he had to do. And then you look at the word courage, French word for heart. So now we have the real essence of faith. What is your faith? much do you have? How much trust? And that's the only answer is prayer. So every situation is going to be different. Every heart is going to be different. But courage to love is probably one of the hardest situations. Mm. Yeah. Being able to be vulnerable emotionally. I would say be careful about your physical family. Yeah. But, but, be, but being willing to, you have to extend X amount and protect those who you have a responsibility to, your children and your family members. It's a really which, good word you're using, vulnerable. Which I want to move over to Miss Nikki now. Politically, and, 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 and I'm loving 
your take on this. This is this has been this is really good. I want to hear we what won't you think. You. I'll try. What you think <laughs> we should do with these people? Because <laughs> there there is another side to this, and the other side is is that we go ahead and we line them all up and we execute them. Right. Mm. That, that 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 that's the extreme that's, end. That's one option for, for 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 terrorism, which they have murdered, raped, and mutilated a lot of those people. So the Christian perspective politically. Uh, we've got two extremes. We either reintegrate them into society without any sort of any sort of watch or any sort of anything, or we we execute them. Is there happy medium median, and what does that look like politically? Well, you're in a, if you're a political leader, you're in, in a bad state because mm -hmm. remember the country in which we're talking about, and remember the ideas: family, tribe, country. And religion is part of your family and, and your tribe. Okay? Part of your identity. It is. It's part of your identity. So as a political leader in that area, if you don't punish this crime, these people, and I don't know what that punishment is, but remember, you reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. And you came from a group of people that were murdering innocent people. You have caused mayhem. Now, I'm a political leader, and if I don't deal with this, then... What, what do we have with the issue here in our country of Black Lives Matter? Or uh, Antifa, who has the right to do whatever they want, free of any consequences. Or the, mm -hmm. You the are going to create chaos. In Nigeria. You have to deal, this is, I, I agree, you know, we want to, as Christian missionaries, we want to, you know, convert them and show them the love of Christ. But, like I said, they're not coming with a repentant heart. And and it is biblical law, the death penalty for murder. So I, I was going to bring that up. That's that. right. And, and if the Bible also says, I know it's Old Testament, but if crimes are not punished immediately, the mind will stay upon evil. So this is a very delicate situation for anybody in politics because if you don't punish these people, then you have the people who have been your law-abiding citizens who have been persecuted and, and murdered who've been raped and yeah yes maimed. but the the amount of people coming what do you do with them because do you put them in prison then there's that financial obligation Burn. to take care of them do you murder them in large numbers that's going to have a political act i mean this is really a hard place this, to be and 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 i'm not going to compare this directly to the american civil war however there is some because you're dealing with two large bodies of people there's similarities there, there is a similarity in it and I want to be really careful how how I invoke the Civil War here but you had a reintegration with grace but with strict penalties um, well, look at what Grant did at, at the surrender Grant asked Lee what can I do for you Lee is he's overwhelmingly defeated he knows it and the thing is during that day what did you need to live you needed a horse you needed a gun so here's Grant thinking through this he said your men can have their horses they leave their guns well I'll tell you what that's that's a tough call but that's going right to the heart of what you're talking about where do you draw that line and you know, I think Nikki's hit on something that's really important. The leaders over there politically are really in a tough spot, and I totally agree with Nikki. 
You've got to deal with the evil. Yeah, I would if say you even, don't, even theologically, I totally stand by what I said earlier, but that is not... When I said that answer, I was not trying to absolve them of right. the repercussions yep. of, of that crime. You're talking I, on a personal level. On a personal level, on a spiritual about. level, but God's law is still a law. That is the moral thing yeah. to do, and, and Nigeria has laws, and you know, you you can offer them that spiritual forgiveness and try to get them to have a true change of heart and still hold they still have to be held responsible for what they've done. I'm not I'm not trying to absolve them of what they've done, but that is the two sides of the coin, I think, for for Christians. And, they and, are and, and I would say that I think the the dividing line is we are not to hate our personal enemies, but government does have a responsibility to hold people accountable. Yes. So it can't be vigilante justice. Amen. And in our own hearts for ourselves and for themselves, they need to strive for that forgiveness. Again, not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be probably the hardest thing that anyone ever does is to forgive people who have wronged them terribly. There's a, there's a difference between your theological and your spiritual stance towards someone versus your political and actual um, civil legal yep. response to someone. You can sue the socks off someone for, for killing your family in a wreck when they're drunk and say, I want you behind bars, you're not safe, and I need to pay for funeral expenses because I don't have a lot of money. Like, you can be in that situation and also have totally forgiven the person, right? You can be both. Uh, however, I want to move. It, it, I want to move over to the philosophical. I told you I was going to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, and you know what's really interesting here? There's several things that you can, from a pragmatic standpoint. If I forgive somebody and just totally wipe this clean, it really absolves the issue of bitterness. Uh, you know, when you when you have that bitterness, bitterness will destroy you. Um, it'll it'll crush you, and I think when you forgive somebody and you just totally let it go, it really lets you sleep well at night. Um, that's one positive aspect uh, to this one pragmatic one. I will also say that uh, if you if you talk about having people put in a prison, uh, I think there's there's some relief that some kind of justice has been done, but. I think the one verse that I really go back to is the one that says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So God ultimately is the one that's going to square everything up. Uh, it's hard. You know, God doesn't want us taking the, the vengeance path. Uh, and, and it's very hard to watch what Boko Haram has done over the years. And it's been horrific. But... Ultimately, it's, it goes back to what Daryl said. It's, it's a faith issue. Where do, you, where do you go with the faith? And I have the solution. I have the solution for the whole challenge. Actually, I don't. God does. He already told us, and he has it all laid out bullet by bullet. Point. There were three. I've been corrected. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer, at another time, told me there were beatings in the Levitical law. 
very rarely used, but it was it was it was a corporal punishment for uh, whatever. So for certain aspects of infringement, light ones. However, they were rarely used. It was either restitution, monetary and labor restitution, or it was capital crime, more or less. And so those who were responsible, the, 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 if you will, the generals, colonels, and captains, and, sar and sergeants of this, you might want to consider whether or not they actually have a changed and, and, and repentant heart. We could talk about capital crime or capital punishment there, but what do we really need in that country? We need the people who were taken from, their villages burned. We need all of this rebuilt and restored. Part of repentance is not only a change from your ways, but coming back, if you can, to fix what you destroyed. And I think that's one of the options that the leaders ought to put on the table. Restitution, a yep. chance to prove, do you mean this? You have to build that village fivefold. You have to restore onto their head. You have to work several seasons. It's not slavery. It's restitution. And there's a limit on it, a time limit, saying, look, this is the volume of work that you have to accomplish as your debt to society. I don't believe in prisons. I don't. Prisons are not in the Levitical uh, law. Uh, prison, the only place you see prisons in the Bible are the Greek and Roman prisons that, that we see prop, prop up. God meant justice to be swift, fast, decisive, and decided. Man is not meant to be locked up in a cage. You either have capital punishment for those who... I'm sorry, how many, how many kids does someone have to diddle before we kill them? I'm sorry. If, if, you, if you touch a child in that way, I, I, I have no desire to have you in society. And if you put that line out there, you will reduce it, proven fact. If you draw that line... So these guys, I think the answer is restitution. I would a, agree with that. From an that. economic perspective. Culturally, and we're coming up to the, we're, we're, we're coming right up on the end of our time here, but culturally, I want to go to Daryl and say, how do we reintegrate? Say, say we were going to do restitution. How do we reintegrate these people in a way that protects the innocent, but also reforms those who were culturally caught up in this? How do we change a culture? I think a lesson comes from Gandhi and the riots between the Muslims and the where Gandhi, or the Muslims and the Hindus, pardon me. It's a big problem. <laughs> but he made one family that was Muslim raise a Christian child, or pardon me, a Hindu child. And then he made the Hindu family raise Muslim child. And somehow I see this vision of these people that have damaged and hurt community. They have to do restitution. I'm, I'm seeing something like they come and rebuild the town and then go back into incarceration in the evening. And they go through that entire process of rebuilding that entire town and then they're evaluated on what their true sentence of death or life should be. And so at least they have a chance to see what they have done. And the process moves through. I think that's one way it could be done. Yeah, that's, that's really good. You know, there was a, uh, I'm trying to remember that the, it was an old Western. 
I forget the Western. It was a show. And this short segment, this, this kid wants to be a marauding bandit. And the sheriff comes alongside him and pretends to be a marauding bandit with him. And they steal this family's livelihood, everything from them. And the sheriff goes, wait, wait. It, again, under the guise of being a, a, a pillager, says, wait, I would love to hear them talk afterward. I love the feeling it gives me. And he hears and listens. He makes his kid listen to the family sorrowing over how they're going to feed their children, how they're going to rebuild. And they're looking at the impossibility because they have so been so totally destroyed that this boy's heart changed. This 17, 18-year-old boy's heart changes. I know it's a movie, but that's exactly what you're talking about. Making people face the consequences. I love that. And see it with their eyes. So wrap up round here. Going around the room. Theologically, what is our responsibility to the individual, Jennifer, in summation? We have to do what we can with what God has given us. We are the stewards of our money and our time. And like I said, if you are called to go on physical mission trips, Godspeed. If that is not in the cards for you, you need to seriously examine your heart and your wallet. There's more you could be doing. There's more I could be doing, I'm sure. You need to do step up. Step up. Should we be more missionally focused <clears throat> as a church? And I'm, that's a leading question. How do we correct our theology so that we're not spending 95% of our money on ourselves as a church? Well, I think that we need to start again locally. I think that would get our mindset right. If we stop expecting, you know, all, all of these people to come to us in the church building and then we get them saved, but rather <clears throat> we start going out, even just our neighborhoods, I think that would help us to start getting in the right mindset. Start by serving, right? Jesus never started with Jesus. He always started serving the people that he was reaching. So just like examine your heart, pray, pray about it, pray for those who are being persecuted now, and be honest with yourself about what you could be doing. Moving on over to the chair of politics. Well, I totally agree with Jennifer also. Um, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not. That is a, the gates of hell are really the political avenues that Satan uses destruction and corruption. I think Christians need to understand the power and authority of Christ. We have the ability to change culture. But it does start personally with you, and then it starts with obedience to the world. 95% of money being spent on ourselves is not being obedient to the Word of God because you're asked to tithe and to offer, and 5% is not the, the amount there. So Statistically, one could say that uh, we're not doing our jobs. That's correct. We're not obedient to the Word, so we're not going to see a change until we are. And living locally mm -hmm. to change our political system so that it's doing the right thing, probably one of the best things that we can do as a church. Moving on over to the chair philosophy. We need to get into the word and really see how to deal with these kind of situations. A lot of people, you brought up the issue of prisons. A lot of people wouldn't even, they'd be aghast at what you said. And yet, from a biblical perspective, if you take a look at it, go ahead and try to argue against it. 
argue, give me one argument for prisons out of God's law. And that's the whole thing. We're not, I, I know that philosophy is the search for truth. As Christians, we believe God has given us, he, he said, I am truth. And yet, we're not even seeking the very thing that we need to answer these kind of questions. So I think first and foremost as Christians, get your nose and st- if I could put this in the words of my history, old history teacher, it's time to start book rooting. We need to get in the word. Rural New York, I'm telling you. So I'm going to come over here and culturally, just a summation. What, when we are reaching out into the world for Christ and to bring the light of Christ to others, Daryl, how should we be doing so? Should we come, be coming with that meekness and love? And how do, we, how do we bring that to the world? I think it's prayer. I think it's always going to be prayer. I think it always was prayer. Because if a person can break through their own earthly bounds, God will speak to them. They'll know what to do, know when to move. They'll know where to put their money. Prayer, listen to the word. As have a personal relationship with Jesus. Humbling yourself. Every day, every morning, every night, when you have your lunch, at every moment of your life, if you can become that walking prayer representative of God and carry that light in your heart every moment, these answers come so much easier. Amen. When you're walking in the Spirit, you're not walking in the flesh. When you're walking in the flesh, you're not walking in the Spirit. I love it. I love it. And that's how we change the culture. So, and from an economic perspective, and then just in wrap up here, guys, if you have, if you're in America, by default, you are in the 1%. You know, the, the 1% of the 1% that Bernie Sanders talks about. We're all in the 1%, okay? Here's the, and he had to change that when, you know, to 1% when he became a multimillionaire. Uh, or, or, but by his book, but um, when you are blessed like that, you have an obligation to God and to everyone else to be a part of the solution. You're not given money to lavish on yourself. You're given it to protect and feed your family, provide. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. However, if you have it to give, you're given it to give, and God is giving you that opportunity to be his hands and feet and yes, his provision will be that. With that said, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, all those good things. And comment down in the comment section below if uh, you have an argument or a thought that uh, we didn't add and tell us from which chair you're bringing that uh, argument or discussion. And uh, if you didn't like it, well, I'm so sorry. Tell us why down there too. Again, like, comment, subscribe, five-star reviews. Your ratings are great, and uh, uh, we really appreciate them. And uh, make sure you subscribe. And if you didn't like this uh, content, go ahead and hit that uh, subscribe button down there anyway. Uh, we love and appreciate y'all. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless.